everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Drew Podcast. Appreciate you all being here. Do support those that support us. And, of course, uh, don't forget to check me out on some of the other platforms over at your mom's house after dark. You guys would enjoy that, no doubt. And uh, the streaming shows we're doing Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 3 o'clock Pacific time have uh, really been getting, catching some heat lately because we've been interviewing very, very interesting people, controversial people that other people have silenced and canceled and sidelined. And as soon as that happens to somebody, I immediately instinctively just want to pick their brain, see what they're up to. Today, my guest, Shadow Stevens, you will recognize his voice immediately. He has, um, well, an interesting mental health storytelling audio theater to talk to us about in just a second. Uh, but of course, Shadow, you can follow. Well, you, do you want them all in the mental health thing, or can I give your other particulars, your usual particulars? Oh, yeah. You tell me. You, I'm easy. I'm okay, just... so we'll get them both, right? <laughs> so right now it's at Mental Radio Podcast, at Mental Radio, at Mental Radio on Twitter, and the website is mentalradio.net. Pay attention. Shadow uh, was there with us at the founding days of K-Rock, and we're going to talk about that for a couple minutes. Uh, he was also the voice of the Late Late Show with Ferguson. And uh, you'll remember him if you were around in the 70s as feder- Federated, Federated, however they Yes, yes, Federated for Federated. <laughs> that was in the 80s. Was that the 80s? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of a – it always felt like a little takeoff on Max Headroom a little bit. Was that in mind when they did that? No, it was really in mind – what was really in mind was um, – Saturday Night Live and Monty Python. I see. Okay. And the whole thing was yeah. done with a, a team of, it was me and five guys. And we did everything we wrote and we produced and edited and, and, and did it all in a week. And we'd do six or eight commercials a week. And, and those that were not here, were they regional or were they national? They were regional. It was yeah. all West Coast. Yeah. So for those of you that were not living in the West Coast in the 80s, this was a, if I remember, a, like the precursor of Circuit City or something. Sort of yeah, when Circus City came in, we did a whole campaign against them. We called them Socket Circus. <laughs> and so they were the early Best Buy. The thing you would know today is Best Buy. Yeah, yeah. It, they were very similar to yeah, Best Buy. Yeah, and so same, this big, was the early days of electronic sort of uh, ascendance of the electronic sort of devices. But then you'd go in and you'd buy a giant boombox that you carried on your shelf. Yeah, right. That's what you would buy. Right. But anyway, this is, this is part of the history of, of electronic media that ended up this thing we hold in our hand now we call our phone. Uh, so anyway, uh, but the, I want to talk about the K-Rock part for just a second. So K-Rock, so those of you who maybe don't know, uh, Adam and I both and Jimmy and uh, uh, so many talents started on K-Rock here in Pasadena, uh, Southern California. And and Shadow was one of the very, very earliest on-air talent uh, there when I believe it was a Really a really a pirate radio station under a church on Las Robles, wasn't it? Across from the Hilton? Before that. Before I, I, that. I had been really successful programming a station in Pasadena, KRLA. Oh, and, well, so KRLA was like, those of you that don't know the history of radio, mm, uh, KRLA was a radio? major, right, was a major AM and finally FM too eventually. No, it was, it, no, it was, it, it was all AM. Yeah, and, and uh, AM when... When KHJ and these these major sort of outlets for the early days of rock and roll, so there you yeah, go. And, and what so Gary Bacosta, who who conjured up K Rock, had K Rock AM, and he hired me to. He said, "We're going to get this FM station. I want you to come in and do something real original." And and uh, just uh, bear with me. Uh, what would it take? What would it take? You, you got a car? What kind of car would you like? I went, uh, Porsche? And he goes, got it. Whoa. So he got me a brand new Porsche. 
and I was, and it wooed me in. Boy, that's that's the early days it was of radio terrible. there. Now, KRLA was it was a beautiful radio station at, at the Huntington Sheridan, and it was all state of the art, and it was engineers, and it was in gardens, and, and a little, go, little bit more history. Huntington Sheridan was eventually torn down because of earthquake safety, but then rebuilt exactly as the, the original, same, yeah. because that was the historical society's requirement, and it now is up there as a Langham or as Ritz-Carlton or something, where they always have the upfronts for TV every year. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and there was a like a separate building that was all KRLA. Oh, interesting. And then we would walk through the gardens to the tap room, and we would all you know have lunch there. It, it was fabulous. To that, I go to, KR, to K-Rock AM in Burbank in this awful little building. And it was like, oh, just bear, just wait, wait, just wait, just wait. <laughs> the story of K Rock goes on and on and yeah, on. Yeah. But he finally gets the FM, and I'm finally made program director, and I signed it on, and I created the format and went over there, and, and that was on Los Robles. That was that uh, little, on, it was like a thing. duplex. Oh, you, so you, but I think, I thought before it went on across the street from the Hilton, it was on the same side of the street under the church. For a minute, no. We we were we were in this duplex, the duplex, um, across, the cinder block duplex. Yeah, right? and, and we and the, uh, well, the offices were it. on the upper floor, and there was a great big studio underneath where everything happened. I see. Or that's several studios actually. Okay, so that all eventually went upstairs. Yeah, that well, that no, that actually went off the air, and then a year later, or two, a year and a half later, he got it back on the air, and he traded out a room at the hotel. Oh, so that's how that and, happened. Oh, and so okay, they put okay, the studio okay. in there, and then they were horrified at what was happening, and then he got the world's worst studio across the street from the hotel. And then that's a different one that you were in before. You weren't in that same yeah. building. Before. No, okay. no, the, okay, the one before it. was that. It's actually pretty okay, cool. Got it. That was where so, KPPC was. And so my history with all this is I lived less than a block away. Really? And over and I was going to medical school and I remember in 1982, 80 is 82. Uh I was like, "Oh, this, I'm so tired of Hall and Oates and the music and it was all KLS KMT then, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and I remember the day that uh John Lennon was shot. You know, I have my great clock radio set to KLOS, and boom, you come on with that kind of news. And so KLOS was in my, and I, I grew up in Pasadena, so KLOS was in my soul. Mm. And I started hearing about this station called K Rock when this all this alternative music. Actually, they called it New Wave then, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of overnight, it became this thing that oh, everyone yeah. and young people can't appreciate that you defined yourself by what you listened to on the radio. Oh yeah, you, it was social media. It was the way you discovered yeah. movies yeah. and television and everything, everything. all music. It, it was everything. Everything. And so I was a listener, and because I lived. 300 yards away, friends of mine were sort of hanging out there, going over to see what was going on, and they called me with this idea that I'd help them out with this community service show mm. in the middle of the night, midnight to 3 a.m. on Sunday night. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy. what? Like, what the what? Uh, Any event, one thing led to another, I thought, well, Anthony Fauci is really on us because I was dealing with a lot of AIDS then, uh, and he's on us to educate about this. And so I thought, this could be interesting, and I went up there was blown away. No one had ever heard of it. They're just starting to call it AIDS. Hmm. We didn't have a causative agent or anything like that yet. No one had heard of these things. Everyone seemed they were coming in the middle of the night to disc jockeys to ask the most important medical questions in their lives. And I thought, wow, I, I maybe I just got to keep coming back. Hmm. And I came back one night a week for ten years, 
uh, thinking I was doing community service. <laughs> wow. And it slowly moved from midnight to three when I could, you know, if it's on call or something, I didn't go. So I switched it. It went to 10 to midnight finally. Right. And uh, that's where it kind of stayed. And there's a long story after that. Any event, uh, it's weird that we are full circle here now uh, doing different kind of audio media. It is. It is. And by the way, I did um, – I was telling you before we started that uh, I made a, uh, a video. Somebody found a, an air check of me on K-Rock in like 1977, I think, or 76. And so I made – and it's an hour and a half long and it's high quality. And I remembered that era as being like, eh, so what? Um, and it was remarkable how – uh, how flexible it was, how elastic it was, how the, the on-air presentation. I mean, every, yeah, everything. From, well, you, and you chose never, everything, right? The, whoever was behind the mic chose the music, right? For the yeah. most part. Yeah. Well, basically, there was a structure that we, that we would use for repetition, so that we would be exposing people. K Rock was the first. You know, the first we signed on with Queen. Mm. Nobody had ever heard of Queen mm. and Keep Yourself Alive. And the reason we did that and played it over and over again, besides it was a great song, is that we were barely. Alive, mm. we were hardly being paid, and it was like I don't know how long this is going to last. And um, so, it, you know, it went off the air, and when I quit, then the whole staff quit, and then it came back a year and a half later. I went to KMET, and then I quit there, and then Gary comes back, and so now I'm back with this new iteration. But it had these giant jingles that I that I produced. Um, ah, K Rock, the mighty uh, choir, and everything. And that went on for a while. That stayed with it for a while. Yeah, yeah, that was like all through the end of the seventies. Yeah, and and then when I couldn't take it anymore, I quit again. When and did Rick Car- Carroll get into this? Game? Rick came in about nineteen eighty. Was he there? Were you there when he was there? No, but he called me. He said, I'm, I've got this uh, yeah, chance to, to go in and do this radio station. I know you were there, and uh, what do I have to you know, look out for? And I went, well, first of all, you're probably not going to be paid, and, uh, but just go in and you'll, you can do something. I remember the and, early days, literally people would get paid in brown paper bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I really do remember You were him. lucky to get brown paper bags. Yeah. We had bounced checks and, and everybody was going bankrupt. People yeah. were losing their minds. It was very painful. And, and, um, and that's back when it was considered insane that you could sell a radio uh, uh, bandwidth for $800,000. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who would do that? Yeah. Now they're $50 million or something yeah. insane yeah. like that. Well, K, uh, K-Rock set the record at the time when it was sold for $40 million. <laughs> No, no station had ever went, what? And so the, uh, the people who had funded it through this awkward period of growth where every group in the world was discovered at the time you were there in the 80s was remarkable. Mm. And um, he made $40 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's your guy, the guy that was kept. No, Gary Bacosta never Gary. got to um, oh. um, feel the rewards of all oh. of his work. He oh, dedicated boy. himself to it and really tried, but... Unfortunately, it was uh, Ken. Uh, what was his name? Ken's the guy I remember with the bags, <laughs> with the white paper, brown yeah, paper bag. Yeah, Ken, who had, who sort had, of a short Italian-looking guy, who had managed uh, Sly Stone. And, oh, is that true? And the Four Seasons. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, nice guy. Nice enough. Yeah, guy. nice enough guy. Yeah. Dangerous, Ken, I, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but he's the one that made a bunch of money. Off yeah, he it. made all the money. Yeah. Ken Jesus. Roberts. Ken, Ken Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. yeah. And Pat something was his program director eventually. Pat. Uh, he was? Briefly. 
Because I, I think there were only about I, four I think, program but directors. But I mean general manager. It must have been general manager. And general manager. Yeah, because yeah. Rick was always the program director. Right. So anyway, enough of that. Let's yeah. talk about your new project. Yeah. Well, when COVID set in, I'm sitting at home like everybody, thinking it's the end of the world and everybody's freaking out. And I thought, I've got this studio in my house. What should I do? I should do something that's funny and uplifting. What would that be? And I just started thinking, what would I do? And it ended up, I started writing and I started producing these pieces. And then I started attracting attention. Um, I needed music to be able to make these cinematic stories that made it sound like you were watching a movie in your head. And I called uh, Chuck Serino. Chuck was my director during the Federated days. And he, you know, we did 1,100 commercials together. And uh, I said, you, and he became a, um, uh, you know, he started doing music for, for movies. And, and I said, do you have any music that you own the publishing or copyright to? And he said, he yes. He was composing? Yeah, he's, he's a composer and he's a world-class huh. composer. And he said, yes, I've been paid to do all these movies that never came out. So you can have whatever you want. And he opens up the archive. And I went, oh, this is the mother load. Because now I, the music started painting pictures for me. And I started mm-hmm. right with the music in mind. And then I attracted my friend um, uh, Joshua Weinstein, who's a screenwriter. And he, he's, I said, here's what I'm doing. And I sent him some things I'd written. Well, did you know guys. what you were doing at that point? Did you have a clear idea? Yeah, well, I started with the mythology. And the whole mythology of mental radio is that it is, it's all like a conspiracy theory. It's all based on truth that is twisted sideways. So... Mental radio actually was discovered by Nikola Tesla in 1893 when he discovered wireless energy transfer. And he realized that, you know, he, you could power the whole world from a central unit and thereby change everything and provide free power for the world. But also it transcended the physical world into the metaphysical, into the spirit world, into the way people think. And he realized that in 1893 that this is way too far out. So he started a secret organization of optimisticals who were dedicated to uplifting mankind. And that included D.W. Griffith and ultimately um, um, Douglas Fairbanks Sr. And the who's who of Are Hollywood. you telling a true story or is this the myth of the, your mental look it radio? Up. Okay. All right. <laughs> if, if I look it up, will I find it? Or will it just... Maybe. <laughs> okay. You really should check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. Countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. They have water purifiers to fit every type of home. Installation-free countertop purifiers to high-capacity, under-the-sink options. They have even Wi-Fi-connected purifiers and alkaline mineral options. Its proprietary purification technology is independently tested and certified to NSF standard to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluorides, arsenic, the PFAS, known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. No changing filters every two to three months. AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier is the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste, which is ridiculous that we drink so much water out of plastic bottles. Best of all, it tastes fantastic. It's portable, makes it perfect for renters or if you're moving or college dorms. In addition, you can use it for your coffee. You'll taste the difference. 
Don't worry about tap water anymore. Tap water is not just filtered with AquaTrue, it is purified. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, our listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com, AquaTrue dot com. Enter that code DREW, D-R-E-W, at checkout. That is 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue dot com. And don't forget to use that code DREW to get 20% off. And that's the thing about it. So uh, the whole um, uh, show is being broadcast. Original Illuminati, literally illuminating. Illuminating the world, you know, to uplift mankind. And it's uh, broadcast from a former Masonic temple somewhere in Hollywood. We can't tell you exactly where, but it is beautiful. It's big. And it is filled with theaters and labs and research centers and the Outlook Chamber and the penthouse at the top and all of these places where we can go to show you um, theater that um, uh, will change your life. So it's sort of like the metaverse. Action adventures. It's sort of like the audio metaverse. It sort of is. It is. We go to all these. We walk the hallways. We have to take elevators sometimes. We go up the back stairs. Are are people welcomed in to produce shows at those theaters and things? Or is is there any user? Well, the shows are all done by the optimisticals and the people No user interface. No way users can sort of do No, I'm sort of the voice of reason that takes you through the hallways and, you know, try to sidestep... uh, Bezos laugh. <laughs> you know, there the buttons everywhere, and sometimes it triggers Jeff Bezos laughing <laughs> through the hallways. It's startling. Yeah. Wait, I want to make sure I, I get clear on this. So, there, you don't have a user interface where some creative user can sort of put their own show onto the platform, much as you would in a metaverse. No, no. But these are designed to um, to take you there, and, to, and 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 it really is a an audio theater experience. Okay. Theater of the mind. And uh, so each show is a half hour. Now it turned into, there's 24 episodes, there's 11 hours of shows, there's six movies worth of shows. And, there, and, I, and I made some, uh, some little like one minute pieces if you want to listen. Them. We're going to listen. Uh, do you want to just run through them from the top the way you numbered them there, Shadow? Or? Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, just give you a little intro that there's music from the Tranquility family and they play in the Harmony Lounge and, and all of the music uh, is, is meant to be entertaining but have a message. And here's one of them. Don't forget the world is ending. Don't forget to be afraid. Don't forget to keep pretending you got it made. Your best years are behind you, so sit alone in your room. Watch a little TV and wait for impending doom. Watch a little TV. Now try to be happy. Be happy. So like that. Very cool. And um, and then when we go to one of the theaters, there's the opera center, there's the uh, media center, and in the media center, we tell true stories of action heroes. And this one is uh, Dixon Ticonderoga, <laughs> a writer looking for trouble. And Dixon goes to, um, to a bar, and it goes like this. So what do you got going? You heard about the giant lizards and goats? Yeah, taking over cities. I uh, got a blood hornet, size of a bat. Got him down in Argentina, mm. doing a little ransom. The size of a bat? You got it here? Yeah, it's out in the truck. 
I followed him outside Whalen's kitten caboodle past the dumpsters to Malone's indigo blue custom lowered 1950s Chevy 350 fuel injected pickup with flames on the hood and just the right amount of pinstripes. And there it was on the real camel-colored leather seats, a bell jar so big it took two hands to pick it up. Fins, teeth, and stingers. Stingers? Like more than one? Three rows of teeth. Look in there. <laughs> and lots of stingers. He dropped the jar. I looked on at the hornet shark with its bat wings flapping and saliva coming out of three sets of teeth, and it opened its jaws and flew at my face. Suddenly I left my body and I could see what was happening in slow motion. I could see it for what it was without being afraid. And I thought, wait a minute, it's not like it's a rhinoceros. They're big and they run. I could see it coming at me and it wasn't a shark and it wasn't a bee. It was a freak and it was the size of a bat. So I smashed it with my fist. And it was stunned, stopped in the air, confused. And it fell to the ground with a thud. And I stomped it with my foot. And I felt good. (laughs) (laughs) So would it be a a, a proper sort of... uh way of understanding this as kind of an ironic return to the radio days with a modern technology? Yeah, it was really about bringing it into the 21st century. And, and the, the biggest... people, A lot of people aren't aware that radio was about storytelling. And about, yes. you know, they, they, did you grow up with a lot of that stuff? I did. We didn't have television in Jamestown, North Dakota until I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. So it was the, the theater of the mind. And would they replay stuff from the early 50s and 40s out there? So you were listening to The Shadow Knows and all that kind well, of stuff? Well, all of that was on at that it time. It was still on. Yeah, okay. and, and suspense, tales calculated to keep you in suspense. So it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like Woody Allen is very preoccupied with that period because mm-hmm. it affected him rather profoundly, it seems like. But I, it's gotten um, – well, I mean it's, it's fading, right? People don't understand the importance of all that. It, it was people gathered around the radio – in the, the there was no television. Was, some of it was really brilliantly written, and you could really see it in your head, and you get really involved, and um, and you know it's never been brought really into the twenty first century no. where no. we're using three D stereo sound. Well, that's what I was going to say. The the, the it, all you had was AM radio back then, and it was sort of flat. Uh, everything was dependent on the voice and the right. acting. Now you have you know a million in, infinite ways of bringing. And they, did, and they did it live, yeah. and they never made a mistake. They never coughed. They never hiccuped. They never slurred a word. It was remarkable. Well, and and to be fair, they the power of the microphone then was, I mean, it, like it was almost godlike. It was like they had such a reverence for it. You remember the opening sequence of the King's Speech? Mm-hmm. Where the guy is getting behind the mic and just announcing something like a, a speech coming on, it was like right. and he's like, ready. And it's like they would stand up there. Do you, do you know this as a, as a young person, Gary? I mean, I certainly know the the King's Speech movie. I, I know. I don't. I don't. I'm not the historian of sound that you guys are. But, so you, but were you aware of this before we started talking about? Yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I knew. I knew that that was a thing just from being slightly exposed to it by my parents. But I'd also like to point out since you 
came to me that these mixes are absolutely beautiful and may not be done justice by the way we release audio because we sort of release at a lower fidelity. So you really should listen to the uh, to the program to hear the quality of, of these mixes. Yeah, that that's the thing that jumped out of me. That's why I was talking about it in the historical context. This is like there's a lot going on. <laughs> I've got another. I've got another. This, right, so this another next one. one is a Malibu Beach romance, and this is the story of. Well, before you do, let me understand this. Uh, okay. So, 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 <laughs> if I were to want to see the rest, of, hear the rest of the story, is it, are they sort of up as theatrical things like yeah, a screen? Uh, How does that work? Well, there, there are uh, they're in chapters, so. Um, you can start right at the beginning, but it really they really started getting crazy at about chapter 15. And I figured <laughs> out the real way to do this. And the biggest thing that I've, uh, the biggest complaint I've gotten is that they go so fast. Mm. And you mean the, fast, like they, they're too short or fast that you've got no, to follow very carefully? The actual tempo yeah. of them, you don't, it isn't like you do this casually and do yeah. the dishes or do yeah, something yeah, else because it's all inclusive. It takes you right into a space and it goes really fast. And it's, they're funny. But it doesn't give you time to laugh. So there is, you know, delayed laughter buildup. And sometimes people explode. And we can't account for it, but that's the truth. So this one is Malibu Beach Romance. And this is um, Biff Brando and uh, Piper live in a, a mansion on Malibu Beach. They're very successful. She's so successful that she only has one name, Piper. And uh, this like is Madonna. what happens. Check this. Hey, Biff. Bitchin' house catching rays. And there she was, Coco. He quickly flexed his six-pack and smiled back. How could he forget the barista from Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf in Tarzana <laughs> and that fling in the restroom beneath the hot breath of the hand dryer? I knew I'd find you. Love the billabong board shorts. You look so hot. Take a walk. He gazed at her cat-eye Maui Jim Pua Kenikeni shades, ample bosom and blonde hair wafting in the wind, and flinched. He looked back at the house, lucky that Piper, the love of his life, always slept late. He had to get Coco out of here. He jumped off the deck. Dude, I'm so Sick, rad move. Oh, you look so good. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So, uh, what's up? I knew you and me were inevitable, Biff, when you ordered that triple-shot low-fat latte, hint of vanilla, one Splenda, and it added up to 666. I freaked. But when I did the life path and destiny on it, I realized that the root number was 6 plus 6 plus 6, or 18, and 1 plus 8 is 9. Look, you're a beautiful woman, but I have a girlfriend. I did the I Ching on us. It said 9 in the second place means perseverance brings good fortune so i will persevere all over you biff and things take a dark turn oh, that's hysterical <laughs> now why do I, i'm trying to place the voice of the of, of pepper is that is jc wendell who is just brilliant one of my favorite people in the world she worked on dave's world with me uh, with harry anderson and meshach taylor and I, I called her and I said, uh, do you do voice work? And she says, yes, I love doing voice work. I, do you have like, what character? She says, no, I can do anything. <laughs> it does every, every character, every, I mean, from 1940s um, um, babes t- <laughs> to, um, to uh, Coco Pepper. at the beach. Yeah, Coco you know, at the beach. Um, she's got a, a great one. One of the episodes is called The, uh, the Adventures of Guy Good, which is a Western and in one episode, she plays the owner of the bar, Bucket of Blood, Lamon Souffle. <laughs> it's all play on words. It's all wordplay. Yeah. It's a lot of word jazz. 
This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Of course, you've heard me talk about BetterHelp for quite some time. I'm obviously a fan of therapy, and I'm a fan of BetterHelp. I've referred family, friends, patients, been very pleased with the professional services they provide there. And look, we can get caught up in what everyone else needs, but how about you? Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance to your life. You can keep supporting others without being depleted. That can be a very significant benefit of therapy. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. Designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for any reason for no additional charge. Again, I am a fan. I think we should no longer cave to stigma. And obviously with better help, there's no waiting in waiting rooms or anything like that. You take care of your body. Why don't you take care of your brain? Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew, D-R-E-W. So, you know, it's called mental radio, and somehow I was anticipating some commentary about mental health generally, and it's about catastrophe and that sort of thing. It, it is um, because all the, every episode is about something gloom, dread, doubt, happiness, magic, time, space, faith. But, but I want to dig into you, Shadow, about those particular sort of topics because we – is it not true that we live in sort of an, a weird, extraordinary moment? Alarming times? Uh, Perhaps. Uh, you know, I – I've yet to be alarmed. It's really interesting. I had no alarm with the pandemic. I had alarm with some of the things they were doing with the pandemic, mm-hmm. and, but I kind of leaned into it. And uh, I just sort of feel – I feel a mix of confusion and disgust, mm-hmm. but not, not alarm. And you're, so, well, you're, you're a pretty strong um, – you have a strong personality and, and mentality. And well, a lot I, of people are snapping all around. Yes, they are. And and I worry about people. That, yeah. That's a different issue, which is, you know, my concern for what we're doing with ourselves. I mean, Jesus, my concerns go right to the streets, right? I mean, those are all my patients out mm-hmm. there in the streets. Could have been anybody I treated. Well, all of them, a lot of them come in from the streets. And now they're just left out to die. Yeah. And you're not allowed to treat them. And so I, I, am, I am all up and down the scale and the food chain and severity of you know, whatever conditions people have. I, I'm worried about all of it. Because none of it's getting really – when it comes to the brain and the spirit, mm-hmm. not much of it is getting addressed, it seems to me. That's really what, what the whole idea of this based, – based on Viktor Frankl in uh, Man's Search for Meaning. He okay, says, so, so if tell you can, people what – yeah, go ahead. Viktor Frankl was a, uh, a psychiatrist that was about to publish his life, life's work when the Nazis invaded. Yeah. And they took him off to Auschwitz and he was so afraid that – he would lose his life's work, his book that was just about to be published, that he sewed it in his coat and they took all of his clothes and burned them. Yeah. And when they gave him the clothes of someone who'd been sent to a crematorium, he found a page torn from a Jewish prayer book, uh, the God, uh, the Lord is one. And, and it's what was on the page is considered one of the most profound things in Judaism. The Shema. And he realized that the people around him who were that that the, that were dying were not the ones who were being sent to crematoriums 
They were mostly people who had lost a sense of meaning or hope or dreams or goals or things to live for. And he realized he had to try in the remote chance that he might ever get out of here, ever be liberated. He would try to reproduce his masterwork. And he started having little, he would find little pieces of paper and write notes that he would hide away. And he did this through four different um, Auschwitz. He was transferred to another and then to another and then to another. And he had typhoid at the end and he was still writing notes. And then they, they at were one point they, they, they took it at one point. He, he had to start over at one point. Yeah. They, and uh, it, not, it, not from the original, from the second. And then they took it and they had to start again. Yes. And, yeah. so, and so the, the, the they're finally liberated and he was going to call it Choose Life in Spite of Everything. Yeah. And he was talked into calling it Man's Search for Meaning. And he wrote it in nine days, and it sold 12 million copies and was transferred, uh, translated into 24 languages. And in it, he talks. He says, man is not meant to find equilibrium. Man is at his best when he's struggling and striving toward a freely chosen goal. What is it? Uh, each what? of us has to find that goal for ourselves, and the goals may change. But the basis of it is tragic optimism. Optimism in the face of all evidence to the contrary. That's a, that's a good goal or a bad goal? That's the goal. The goal. Tragic so optimism is the goal that in spite of how things look, no matter what they look like, you have no choice but to be optimistic because to, to, be, to lose yourself in negativity means that you'll go down the wormhole. It will beat up on you, and it will reaffirm itself over and over again. So one of the one of the things that was most profound for me was that he talked about ridiculing phobias. When you can ridicule your phobias, you can rise above them through the use of humor and irony. Hmm. It gives you distance and empowerment. So Mental Radio was created basically with that in mind that we take these things like gloom and doubt and happiness and optimism and faith, and we turn them sideways so that the stories all reflect that. And then in the middle of each episode, each half-hour episode, we go to the outlook chamber, which is, it's all, a, it's all an allegory for the, it's about the human mind. Yeah. And you go to the crown, to the um, penthouse, to the outlook chamber. And there I talk about, let's talk about faith. And in it, we talk about space. Maybe the space. Is the space between our thoughts the same as the space across the universe? Maybe. What is faith? What is joy? And is and this in the form of theater? This is, the, like, no, like, this like, is not, the theater stops and I talk. So you just, you just start philosophizing, essentially. Yes. Yeah, so like, let's look at magic. Yeah, yeah. And then we break it down to what it is. And the idea is to remind people that we have to get ahead of the mind through goals and dreams and things that we work on, that we apply ourselves to. And the action that we take through applying ourselves starts to create a new destiny or something to believe in or something to hope for. And the other thing you have to do is to get behind the mind with meditation. And then we talk about meditation and give you a 90-second example of what it feels like to have that moment of quiet. And these are created with I'm original music and, and gongs and chimes. Oh, and cool. I'm going to stop because I have so much I want to unpack here, <laughs> okay? May, may I dig into sure, some of yeah, that? of course. Uh, you, if you'd said more, I, I would have lost my way. So I've got – we started in very interesting places. We ended in very interesting places. So um, 
I wrote down for some reason something you said triggered a uh, quote from John Milton: "Virtue untested is no virtue at all," which is sort of what you were talking about of this radical optimism. It's called radical optimism. Tragic, be, tr- tragic is a better okay. Yeah, uh, and. So to that issue of optimism, I have a cognitive scientist I bring in here once in a while. And one of the things he and I talked about, and I realized during the pandemic, that the the, the fundamental cognitive bias that every human has is either optimism or pessimism. And God, I would hate to be a pessimist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the pessimist saw disaster everywhere. The pessimist I, – I, so I'm wondering which of the – are you addressing the pessimist through through the mental radio? Because they're the ones that need to be brought out of the catastrophizing because they live in that all the time. It's always going to be the worst. Well, it's, we're predisposed to being afraid and we – and our minds left to their own look for what's wrong and make a list. And the pessimist is is wound into that loop of – I remember some failure. I remember some phobia. I remember some tragedy. I am I'm afraid of the future. That this might yeah. happen. That might happen. And that triggers that chemical response I in just the brain. So loud. So it was just so obvious to me during the pandemic. You know, people would. Oh, totally. I, and and I had a different. And I thought, oh, I'm. I don't have that. I I, I look at this. I think we're going to figure this out. We're going to get to it. Like that. Relax, everybody. And that that was met with hatred. <laughs> How mm-hmm. dare you take a position like that? Which was. Odd That's great. Well, me. I mean, sp- people are spinning out. So, yeah. and, and of course, all the conspiracy theories. I have one of those in in, one, in the Guy Good episode. Uh, Guy and his sidekick Gabby go out, uh, you know, heading across the desert to try and head off the gloom before it hits the big city, and they're attacked by Wymies. Wymies are zombies <laughs> Wymies. with guns. That's hysterical. They're, they're victims who look for someone to blame and go mad. No, we, and we'll they can them, run. Let's just call them the American public. Yeah, <laughs> just, there you are. I have a short clip that's named surrounding what you guys are oh, talking, yeah, sure, about. Play right, that talking about. I got a lot more I want to dig into here. This so one's only about 24 seconds, yeah. so let's check it out. Guns up there in the cliff. Wymies. I thought we got rid of them. Good job. Gotta be mutations, maybe the undead. You're talking zombies? Yeah, zombies, victims. Look for someone to blame and go mad. What? What? Why me, zombies? Yeah. With guns? And they're running. And they're running? Why don't they die? Hysterical. <laughs> I, I love the why me's. Oh, my God. And, yeah. and, and, and I've always felt that humor and music were the ways we kind of get through to people. And so I'm hoping that it makes people reflect and think mm-hmm. about things. It won't change that fundamental bias, though. I mean, some people – and, and this cognitive well, science explained that, look, back <clears throat> in the cave days, you needed somebody that stayed back and was afraid and fed the kids and somebody mm-hmm. who went out and killed the mammoth. You needed – and the you have to be an optimist to go out there and do battle with, an, with a mammoth. Uh, and so I, I – you know, we're always going to have optimists and pessimists, but we have sort of we've turned the pessimistic brand into some sort of art form. Some sort of we've elevated it to but a truly. Step. Yeah. Well, well, I believe it's like um, we have we have to reboot the operating system, and the only way like to do Scott you can't Adams. think you can't think your way happy. Yeah, yeah. And so you've got to take action, and the action usually involves writing. And writing about all of the twelve-step work. Well, is, I was going to say basically r- r- that twelve-step has an aphorism: "Right action." Is that what they call it? Good one action. of many. So, yeah, 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 yeah. But but the, but this is the point of this back to why I think I wrote down the John Milton quote is it's it's about living a certain kind of life. 
it's not about thinking a certain kind of thing. It's about living and doing it and, and you know, staying well, in, the, thing, in the thing. Of, of picking a goal and working toward the goal. And as you apply yourself to the goal, then you get a little enthusiasm. You think, well, maybe this is a direction for me or this is, didn't exist before. If it's something I'm writing or something I'm trying to produce or something I'm trying to learn about, the more I learn, the more excited I get about where it's going. But, you know, that, that thing, it's like atheism. It's like I'm predisposed to believing that there's nothing, therefore there is nothing. I have a piece about that, too. A, a, I'm sure. a German nihilist. Um, it's actually pretty pretty funny. It's, uh, I can see my note here. Um, dun, 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 dun. Oh, I have Marilyn Croker, who named all the drugs. We have a game played on NPR called Drugs, and che- drugs or Cheese. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty good one. Um, Pardon me, man is falling into a manhole and can't find his way out. Um, oh, yeah, the, the, yes, the German nihilist. Dixon comes upon a German nihilist uh, in a furniture store, furniture, and he has a schnauzer named Schopenhauer. <laughs> and his belief is that life is vapid, filled with grunt work and struggle. And Schopenhauer had to be the most depressed man in the history of mankind. And I, and I, I wrote them down because they're laugh out loud horrifying. His, his stuff. His Schopen- stuff. His but actual li- things he said. I, I, I sort of liked his stuff, though. <laughs> well, it's hilarious. I mean, he was competing with uh, Hume at the time. And, and Hume was the popular boy. And he was, he was uh, sort of sidelined. He was defiant. Yeah. yeah. What, what, do you have any of those in, up top of mind, any of his quotes? Um, oh, I, yeah. <clears throat> I'm forgetting why, when I was reading his stuff, why I liked it so much. I can't, it's interesting that I can't remember it now, that what it was I liked about it. Huh. I'll find it here. Uh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember what his great work was called. It was like like World and, and Mind or something. No little part of torment of existence lies in this, that time is continually pressing upon us, never letting us take a breath, but always coming after us like a taskmaster with a whip. If at any moment time stays his hand, it is only when we are delivered over to the misery of boredom. (laughs) (laughs) His book was called World as Will. And he was a precursor to Nietzsche, and that's why I liked him. I'm remembering now mm-hmm. the idea of this will, so-called, whatever that is, that that uh, humans seem to be victimized by, let's say. Yes, human existence is an error. It is bad today, and every day it gets worse <laughs> until the worst happens. <laughs> well, he was he was in Germany at the time. It, it still got pretty bad. Yeah, so, my, I have a friend who is German. He said, you must give me that episode. It's the funniest thing you ever wrote. It's just hilarious. I have been to Germany many times. My family's from Germany, and when you get out of Hamburg... Everybody is like that. Yeah. Nothing in life is vapid. Interesting. That's so funny. So I, I want to. I've got so much other stuff. You you get dig into faith. We could talk about that. But I. But you mentioned magic, and I, and I want to just dig into that for a second. And magic to me is kind of an interesting topic, not because of magic, but because of the human relationship to magic. And I've thought a lot about. Um, the Egyptians and their feelings about magic, right? They sort of invented the notion of magic. Mm. And and as I was sort of, and I do believe that a lot of the stuff in the Bible is sort of stories about Egypt. And we sort of forgot that, but that's, you know, Moses is the you know Egyptian word for child. You know, Ram Moses, Ramses, mm. Tut Moses, 
you know, Ting Tut. Moses was in every king's name. Mm. Uh, it's just this one guy, which I have a suspicion might have been Akhenaten, just said, I'm the only child of the only God. And, hmm. and Akhenaten did something like that and was eventually destroyed for it. So interesting. And Freud had a theory that there were two Moseses. And one was a, sort of a mute and the other was a very erudite speaker. Uh, and unclear to me which, which – well, I guess the first one was probably Akhenaten. But, but – um, it's an interesting – he wrote, he has a whole treatment on that that's very interesting, sort of dissecting the stories in the Bible and really looking at them quite literally. My point is the magic in Egypt, the, there's, there is not a distinction that I could draw sort of I'm – a, I'm a dilettante, very limited understanding of these things, but just sort of my exposure to what some of the writings there are there is that the, the, tr- the transition from magic to sacred – it doesn't exist. Mm. The sacred was just sort of a magical thing, and we, religion sort of pushed, you know, bring, brought sacred into its own sort of mode. But when you talk about turning wine into blood or crackers into mm-hmm. that, that's magic. Mm-hmm. That's magic. But it's it's sanctified, and, and but I have a feeling that our relationship with magic, whether it's a magician or a priest. Is that kind of uncanny awe we experience with the in- inexplicable and that what our mind can do mm-hmm. with some of these things? Am, am I on to anything there? I've not got any great, well-thought-out ideas about it, but it's been bothering me for a long time that people don't see the relationship between magic and sanctity. Well, we want to believe in magic and and um, and and being and deception and, uh, you know, the – the magic that we watch today is fun because you can't account for it. It may say, "Oh, he sold his soul." Maybe, maybe he did. Well, does it scratch know. an itch where we want to believe that our mind can change things, that we can just change the world with you know our wishes, or that perhaps uh, there is a, an all-seeing force that we can tap into that can that can do that? Do it for us. But you know, really, a lot of magical thinking and uh, and mythology go hand in hand, and. Uh, and we get lost in dogma after that. Yeah, I spent a lot of time studying religion, and the um, and came to the conclusion that all of the world's great religions all believe in the same thing. They all Ultimately, believe they in all the kind same, of say the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's the same infinite, incomprehensible, universal, original source. And then live a certain kind of life. Is. And please and live that, a certain kind of life. <laughs> yeah, and that everything else is dogma. The, yeah. the rules and regulations of how to get to the infinite, incomprehensible. Right. Right. And then we get problems because now I have to change you to prove to myself that I have found the way, the only way, the only way that could possibly be the way. Uh, I have found it and I must either convert you or kill you. Well, and my God is better than your God, which goes all the way back. And that's hilarious. That's all the way back. Well, my God is the (laughs) God. Well, you know, they were all originally sort of warrior gods. They're going to get me through this battle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) going to make me win. Yeah, well, I I, uh, interviewed a... um, Himalayan yogi who lived uh, in a monastery for 30 years. And, and this addresses the, the atheist um, principle of, you know, all you poor, sad people believing in your imaginary friend. It's the willing suspension of critical thinking. This guy said, we got up at five, we'd meditate for an hour, we would have breakfast, and we would study all day, one major philosophy or, or religion at a time. And we did this every day, and we couldn't take notes all during the day, only after we went back to our rooms at the end of the day. And um, he did this for 30 years. 
That's critical thinking. And, what's, and, and, and that what was concluded? He said, what he said was, for thousands of years, people have tried to prove the existence of God, and they failed. And for thousands of years, people have tried to disprove the existence of God. They, too, have failed. Why? Because God is not for intellectual speculation. It is purely experiential. And the only way to find that experience is to go within. And the only way to do that is through meditation, through focusing the mind. That's what we talk about. And and, and did he have any insight into that? Yes, he said each of us has to experience it for ourselves. Everything else is just words. Everything else is just speculation or reframing something somebody much smarter than us said at one point that seems reasonable for us to think about. But most people won't experience that, right? Well, that's what we have to try and nurture. We have to – it's like how unhappy are you? You If you're unhappy – you have to do something. You have to do something about it. You have to take action. And what are the actions that you can take? You've got to reboot your own operating system. You've got to see that you are a victim of the way you think that goes over and over and over again. What can I do differently that might change that? Last Days, a new podcast exploring the biggest icons in pop culture taken too soon and what led to their untimely deaths. It seemed like he was on the cusp of this sort of demise. The juxtaposition between that and the onstage persona that caught us all off guard. Conspiracy theories, shocking details, and untold heartbreak. Hosts Jason and Derek unpack the stories behind each star's demise. This was an unnecessarily ghastly presentation of gory details. It was a media blowback, used the corner, basically clout chasing. Larger than life, bigger in death. Last Days, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to push back on a little bit of this and to take us back to Viktor Frankl. He couldn't have meditated and found any of that. He was just trying to survive no, he, and make meaning. Yeah, but he realized that he had to get ahead of his mind. He had to have a goal, a dream, yeah. something that a freely chosen goal is the way he put it. Yeah, why not stick with that? Um, well, you can stick with that, except that it doesn't answer the the, fun, the fundamental question of I see. original source right, and so my if, relationship to some kind of higher power, so, whatever you want to call it. So that's literally almost a hierarchy thing where <clears throat> if you've got peace and food and safety, then you can start to address those higher things. But the rest of us struggling in the meantime just got to find Well, I meaning. think you can do it all at the same time. You know, it, it's, um, it, it doesn't – all it takes is the effort of – Oh, how do you meditate? Oh, you do that? Well, let me try that, and I'll do that for 10 or 20 minutes a day. Oh, maybe I'll do it a little more because it feels good. Oh, my God, it does feel good. Oh, I'm getting this sense of peace. When you get into a deep meditation, your body goes into a deep sleep-like state. Even your fingertips get numb. And sometimes you get to a place where your body feels like it's the skin of a soap bubble out there. And you experience pure awareness and you realize that the deeper you go, the deeper there is to merge into. And that's a revelation that you can't put in words. Words just diminish the entire experience. So all you have to do is say, oh, some people have said this might work. Maybe I should try it. Is it correct to say it's sort of awareness of awareness? Um it is kind of an awareness of awareness, but it's an experience of awareness yeah, experience. that has to, that isn't thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know these are not 
you're not saying things that haven't been said by many people who have these practices. This is, you hear it over and over again. You do hear it over and over again. And then, unfortunately, a lot of times when you hear it over and over again, uh, the people who are preaching it ask for money, oh. want you to tithe, want you to you know go to a higher level by spending more money. Yeesh. And what we're talking about is here it is for free. Just do this. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I work with a, um, a company in Santa Monica uh, as a counselor for uh, a deal with mental health and suicidal ideation and drug and alcohol abuse and recovery. And, um, and I've been doing it for three years now. That, this preceded starting Mental Radio. And so it all kind of goes hand in hand of the things that we talk about, which is, you know, the spirituality and um, goal setting and the art of creativity. I find that there's been a bit of a generational shift amongst the addicts uh, that we treat in that the younger ones, and now it's really anybody under 30, have trouble finding meaning, have trouble relating to the concepts of you know 12-step. And, and I'm not sure that they would relate to what you're talking about in terms of meditative practices. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't know that but, you do that. You can jump right into no, it. No, I understand. But what either. I'm going to ask you is, are you seeing that also? Are you seeing young people have a kind of a novel, I don't know what it is going on for them? Um, what I see is people locked into a way of thinking that needs to be pried open. And uh, a lot of, and, and some of the people that I've worked with have been, we stopped drinking 10 years ago because they got slammed into the ground and broke their jaw. Um, but they live in this kind of anger. Yeah. And the anger is its own addiction. So what we have, we have to get through to them is, okay, there's a, um, there's a lock loop in the operating system. You're not thinking right and you're constantly suffering. So what can we do about that? Well, we start by writing about it. Yes, I have this affliction. What is it that I am going to do about it? Am I willing to do something about it? Okay, I get to the willingness. Then I go, what is my belief in something greater than myself, something bigger than my ego? And we have to re- you have to write that because writing gives you clarity. And the clarity is part of the process that takes the – it's like you can't fix – you can't put together a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle in your mind. Yeah. You have to see the pieces. Yeah. The only way to get the pieces is to write out the pieces. So that's where you get to step four, where you talk about your phobias, your disappointments, your heartbreaks, your secrets, your resentments. So All it's, this it's, stuff the same is old, it's the same old uh, procedure or, or structure with a kind of a different emphasis. Yeah. The, the thing that, that seems to get through is you have a computer, and sometimes it goes tilt. And it stops, and you have to unplug it, and you have to reboot it, and you have to put in new, uh, new sure, operating It sure feels systems. like that's kind of a universal loop now. You know, I, I think you're on to something because it, it does feel like people are just weirdly locked in their spin, you know, whether it's a silo of people on social media that are reinforcing their thinking or just they're in their own head. It's all the same. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, and the social media feeds that. Yeah. It's, it feels overwhelming to me. <laughs> it does to me as well. Yeah, it, and it, 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 and I, I don't like it. I'm not a big fan either, but you can only do what you can do and try and get it across and, and why I show up and do these sessions and why I create mental radio and my artwork. I've done uh, a lot of artwork as well. I've got these two big pieces, and one is – they're both nine feet long and five feet tall, and one is called Doomsday, Oof. the assault of – 
negativity that is bombarding us day in and day out, including zombies crawling out of the frame. And the, and the companion piece is called Hope, and it's the beauty that faith has brought into the world. Can we and, see it somewhere? Is there a website or something? Uh, yeah, I have a website called Shadow Art, S-H-A-D-O-E, art.com. Okay. I will take a look at it. Well, this has been a fun romp, and congratulations. Let me play you one more thing. Yeah. Play him uh, number five because it, it talks about today. It's, it's pretty funny. All I right, think. good. As the puma and lion tore apart a horse belly and the leopard and cheetah fought over a beef carcass, Gabriel licked the last flick of barbecue off his cheek, threw them another pig knuckle, and started to leave the lion enclosure. He hit the keyboard 477GRR, but instead of the mechanical whir of the gate unlocking, he hears. Weird. And he tries again. Oh, for God's sakes, 4777. Please dial 4 star star on the keypad to reset pit. You always hit zero. Good morning, my name is Octavia. How can I provide you with excellent service today? You can unlock this gate right now. The lions are going to finish their dinner in about two minutes. Certainly, please enter your pin on the keypad. Yeah, it's not working. That's why I called you. What's not working, the pin or the keypad? Could you just open the gate? Of course, please enter your pin on the keypad. It doesn't work. The keypad or the pin? The pin! I see. Would you like to reset your pin? I'd like you to get me out of here. Of course, please enter the most recent pin you remember on the keypad. The one that doesn't work? The keypad or the pin? The pin. I need you to unlock the gate. It sounds like you'd like to unlock the gate. I'm sorry, there have been too many attempts. You've been locked out. Uh. Technical support has been notified. They will arrive between 12 and 2 p.m. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Help me. Help me. Somebody's got to help me. <laughs> it, it does recreate the feeling of the present moment, doesn't it? Doesn't it ever? Yeah. How and I love your, your friend's music in the background. That, that, yeah. That yeah. Chuck, is, Chuck is amazing. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's lots of pieces like. Well, that. take a look at it, everybody. You can find it and follow it. It's at Mental Radio on Twitter. It's on Facebook at Mental Radio Podcast. Was a podcast also? It's a podcast. Yeah, it's, so it goes MentalRadio.net. It's on all podcasts. It's on Apple. It's on Google Play. There's a free app. If you just look uh, up mental radio as one word, mental radio. Okay, so so it's um, a pod, and each of these episodes are a podcast. Yes, got it. I, that was my error, not emphasizing. Except it that. takes six or eight weeks to write one thirty minute. Uh, no, I get podcast. it, but we are pod, there are podcast <laughs> listeners amongst the people listening to us, so that's good that we that we sort of because people are used to podcaster now. You know, as we started this conversation, they're the essentially what we used to do with the radio people mm-hmm. do with the podcast now so while they're doing other things whether whatever it is right. they are listening so shadow congratulations uh, we appreciate you being here uh, is there anything else have i missed anything is there anything you'd like to no say i've we wrap totally up? enjoyed it. I've, I've always you know we've been friends for so long yeah and, crazy and i haven't seen you since before covid and, and there's this weird thing happening now where i spend time with friends talking on microphones yeah that's the way i make sure i see my friends i go come come, come in let's, right, yeah, let's do this <laughs> so, yeah, let's get together it, it's sort of weird I've, I've noticed a lot of other podcast hosts are telling me the same thing that they're because when you when you create digital content as you're discussing mm-hmm. you're, you're a lot of your time is spent creating digital content and mm-hmm. so if you're going to want to spend time with somebody you care about just come come on let's talk about it yeah let's we'll talk, talk about it we'll record at the same time exactly and then it'll be a plus plus exactly so here we are but thanks everybody check it out uh, again it is mental radio the podcast or at mental radio podcast at mental radio on instagram at mental radio on twitter follow it all there and uh, we'll see you all next time 
All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Thank you.